Well, good morning, FBN. Uh, really good to be here with you. Uh, good to partake in worship with you wherever you're at, if you're at home or if you're with uh, some other people. Um, whatever you're doing this morning, uh, glad that you're here with us. I'm glad that you're tuning in. Um, if you're a part of FBN, uh, thank you for your uh, just understanding um, and um, just participation in, in all that FBN has going on and, and will continue to have going on uh, as we uh, continue into this uh, unique season. And uh, listen, for all who are um, tuning in, um, we're glad that you're here, and we pray that the Lord uh, has brought you to uh, this video for some reason, and that he would make that clear to you uh, through the course of our time together. And so, uh, listen, we have a wonderful opportunity this morning to look at another uh, wonderful piece uh, of the nature of God's word that we have uh, given to us, a divine extension of his grace and goodness and of his heart to mankind so that we might know him and, and know who we are uh, even better so that we can worship him and serve him. Um, it's about him. It's all about him. And we want to humble ourselves to that um, and live accordingly. And so I pray that God uses our time today for that purpose. Okay, um, let's pray and we'll jump into 1 Peter chapter uh, 1 and look at the timeless nature of God's word. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together. We pray uh, for just your provision, your continued provision uh, through, this, uh, through this season. We pray for the many who are sick and ill, many uh, from FBN uh, who have uh, been stricken with this uh, COVID-19. We just pray for their, uh, their quick uh, recovery and that you would bring them out of this. And um, um, some families in particular who are going through a, a very hard season. Uh, right now, we pray that you would tend to them in a way that only you can, that you would use your church uh, to do so as well. Father, we do pray that you would use your word today you know, to speak to us, that we would humble ourselves before you, and that we would live according to that. Um, God, that you would use your word um, to draw us nearer to you, uh, to let us know uh, more of yourself, and um, that we would open ourselves to be known more by you, even though you know us completely. Um, God, we want to, uh, to, to have full authenticity and transparency in our relationship with you. Uh, create that in us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, like I said, uh, I hope you've got a blanket and a, and a cup of coffee, whatever it is, however you uh, do virtual <laughs> worship services, get there um, and get your Bible as we jump into 1 Peter chapter uh, 1 this morning. And listen... Um, we're talking about the timelessness of God's word. And uh, when we're talking about time, man, it's a bizarre, bizarre concept, really, when you start looking at it, right? Um, it is um, complex, right? Uh, at least from a human perspective. And if you think about just uh, the movies you've seen and, you know, uh, time travel and time paradoxes and all, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we typically believe in mankind, you know, that there is a broader world to time that we haven't fully tapped into yet. That there is an extension of time, a, um, an extra level of time that we haven't tapped into. But guess what? Um, somebody has, right? Uh, and it's the one who created it all, right? He, he certainly has tapped into this bigger place of, of time and understanding of time because he created it all. We are bound to um, our understanding of time uh, to understand just the, just the physical nature of it, but also just our own relative experience to it, right? It's actually kind of weird to think about, but people, 
uh, tend to perceive time differently. Um, for some people, time feels like it's going faster. For other people, time feels like it's uh, slowing down. Um, and there's actually psychological reasons why people feel this way. Now, typically, uh, the younger you are, um, and the more you're taking into your experience, the slower time feels. But the older you get, uh, the more familiar things become. And so uh, things seem uh, to, uh, to move faster, right? Um, there was a man, uh, we're going to call him the caveman, even though he was a cave expert, right? And back in 1962, there was this French cave expert who lived in a cave without light, without clocks, without anything for 59 days, right? Nearly two months. And in this dulled um, experience of no light, you know, not in taking uh, much, um, dulled senses, dulled everything, uh, when he was asked how long that he thought he was in the cave, he guessed 34 days. Right? He was in there for nearly 60 days, uh, nearly two months, and what he guessed was just a little over a month. So he's like only 50%, right? Um, or I guess... Put more appropriately, time moved twice as fast for him. It continues when he was asked after that experience to to count to 120 in one second intervals, right? A task that should take um, somewhere close to two minutes, right? If you're counting truly to one second intervals, it'll only take two minutes. It took him five minutes to count to 120 in what he thought were one second intervals. So... All in all, for him, longer time frames felt shorter, and so time traveled faster. At least it felt like it did. And again, a psychologist would say this is because people perceive time differently, and we perceive time differently based on, on our experience, um, based on the neurons firing in our brains and, and our emotions being triggered and our senses Peaking, you know, one way or the other, it is all contingent upon our experience. And so we perceive time uh, according, according to that. We're pretty limited, right? We're, we're pretty bound to our own experience uh, when it comes to our understanding of time. And so I'm just curious, when we're talking about time perception, first of all, who are you? You know, just for the fun of it, who are you? Are you somebody who's, uh, you know, you see time and it seems to travel faster? Or you think about time and you perceive it as traveling slower, right? Who are you? Uh, Chances are, according to the research I've come across, is that if you feel like time is going slow, um, then that's probably a good thing and you're probably taking on uh, uh, new things and you like the novel experience. And if you feel like time is flying by, um, then you might just be too familiar with how things are, and it might be time for you to learn a new hobby or pick up a new, uh, you know, skill or, or travel to somewhere new and to kind of break up that monotony a little bit. All right. But the bigger question, like that's a whole other world that I barely know anything about, but it's fun to entertain. But the bigger question that it kind of un- unleashes in my mind and maybe even yours too is, what is God's relationship with time? How does God perceive time? That's interesting. And it's really kind of unanswerable um, for us because, again, we're so bound to our own experience. We're so bound uh, to, to our own uh, understanding of what time is based on our own minds. The best thing I can tell you is this. It's different. His perception, his understanding, his experience with time is different than ours. Right? Um, Unfortunately, I think we have a tendency to think that 
that he is bound to whatever we are experiencing. Um, and so in that, we, uh, we think that you know, it, it becomes easier to just kind of lose some trust. Um, as if, you know, my hardship, um, that, that somehow God's, in God's infinite wisdom and sovereign will, my hardship means that he's not present. Um, as if he couldn't possibly have any greater purpose um, than to give me comfort. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's kind of a bizarre, unfortunately, um, our limited understanding of time does us a disservice at times. But it's helpful to remember that he's not bound by what we experience, and he actually invites us into something more, right? Because after all, he is the creator. We're created. Um, he is the beginning and the end. We have a clear beginning and end, right? He's present in all times, right? He's been present in all eternity. We are bound to our appointed time, which happens to be right now in the span of human history, He's all-knowing. He's infinite in his wisdom and knowledge. And our minds are pretty finite and with a really low tolerance when it comes to lofty thinking. Uh, Isaiah chapter 57 verse 10 says that God inhabits eternity. I love that, right? We inhabit 80 years um, of whatever time frame he allows. He inhabits eternity. It's amazing. So our perception of time is created um, as created beings, as finite, as non-sovereign, limited, broken people. It doesn't even slightly compare to the gaze and perspective that the Almighty God has. So the best way I can think to articulate God's perception of time based on the vast difference between Him and us is simply this. He, just, he doesn't perceive time. He determines it and He appoints it because He created it. All right. In his nature, he is timeless. Time has no hold on him. He is bound to nothing when it comes to time. He's not bound to any linear spectrum of time that we seem bound to. Right? He sees the end just as clear as he sees the beginning. He's in all of it and he's above all of it. And the reason we're, we're making these notes this morning at the start is very fitting, I believe, because if God is timeless and it is part of his nature, then we must understand that when he extends himself to people, whether that be through his son, Jesus Christ, or through his church, or through his word, whatever it is, the extensions of himself, we've got to understand that those are invitations into the timelessness of God. In his word, because he is timeless, his word is timeless, and it invites us into an experience that is timeless because it's from him. It's awesome. Now, quick reminder here, we've been going through this sermon series called Reboot, and it's about our, our vision, you know, to develop disciples who live for God's purposes, and we want to accomplish this through the teaching and worshiping and discipling and community and sending, all of which we get from the timeless Word of God. We've been centered on this area of teaching, teaching the Word of God, because it is timeless, because it is something that's relevant to all ages, it is Central to what we do and to who we are as believers. Right? And so we can't effectively do a sermon series about rebooting and being the church that God has called us to be without highly 
um, underscoring and accenting the area of teaching the word uh, of God because this is who we are. And without it, then we don't have any grappling with anything else. And we don't even have any grappling with, with life and eternity and all that. Kind. We, we don't have any sense. But because God has extended himself to us through his son and through his word, then we got it. We have access. Right? And so... Because he is timeless, and because he has extended himself through his word in timeless form, we understand that he is timeless, and so his word is timeless. And we praise his name for that, and we study it, and we read it, and we open our lives to it, and it has deep impact on who we are as people and as worshipers of Jesus Christ. All of that to say... That brings us to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, where we read this wonderful passage regarding the enduring nature of the Word of God. And so let's read that together. If you would join me, um, chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, um, verse 22. And I'm going to go ahead and do something here that might be very uncomfortable for you because you probably just reclined with your blanket and coffee. But if you would, as we typically do when we're meeting in person, would you stand in your living room, in your home, wherever you're at, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth, so that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart, love one another constantly, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass in all of its glory, like a flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Awesome. You can have a seat if you actually truly stood up with us. I don't know if you did or not, and I'll never know. But have a seat if you did. Quickly, uh, just to make a few notes about the context of this passage here. Um, the context is Peter writing to a very persecuted, scattered early church. As you see in verse 1, these people are exiles, dispersed, um, many of whom uh, historically experiencing suffering beyond anything we can fathom. Uh, they would long for a worldwide pandemic in comparison to what they were enduring on behalf of Christ. Even so, with all that going on, you would think Peter's word to them would only be encouragement, would only be, uh, you know, it's okay, you'll get through this kind of stuff. And that's certainly there. But what he still does is say, hey, you're going through this, but you still got to live holy lives. You still got to be obedient to God's word. You still have to be good husbands and good mothers uh, and good fathers and good wives. And you still have to do this stuff. You still have to live righteously. And I love that just general reminder. It's kind of a side piece here that suffering doesn't permit misconduct. Suffering doesn't excuse misbehavior. Right? It's just a general principle uh, through the scriptures and one that we see uh, from a bird's eye view here in Peter. When bad things happen to you or when you go through hard times, this does not permit the believer to misconduct. Right? A bad day at work doesn't permit you to be harsh with your kids later on. If you struggle with depression in your mind, it doesn't permit to pity-hogging. If you are an abusive, uh, or, or if you have an abusive parent, it doesn't permit you to bully other kids. If you have an anxious or tormented spirit, it doesn't permit you to, uh, to drunkenness. If your father uh, was passive and unloving, it doesn't permit your promiscuity. 
right? If the environment is confusing for you, it does not permit an an aggressive reaction from you. And if persecution is your experience, this does not excuse um, um, unrighteous living and spiritual apathy. Yes, the suffering, I think, does explain the misconduct. It gives you an insight into uh, what people are dealing with, but it, it is not permit it. It doesn't permit it. Peter, on the other hand, says at the start of chapter 1, yes, you are scattered, you are dispersed, you are exiles, and you are suffering grief of all kinds, he says later in verse 6, I believe. But he says here, still, to continue in constant love for each other, from a heart purified by the obedience to truth. Why? Well, because you have something that transcends suffering. You have been born of something that is beyond that. All of that stuff comes and goes. Suffering, trials, depression, anxiety, heartache, uh, a tormented spirit, all of these things, they come and go. Family dysfunction, uh, um, cultural chaos, they come and go. They perish with time. But you have something that transcends time. And it's forever. And it's enduring. What is it? Well, it is according to verse... 23. It is uh, uh, the fact that you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. It's the Word of God. So these are the descriptors I want us to look at for, for, for a minute as we uh, look at the description of what it means for the nature of the Word to be timeless. And the first is imperishable imperishable. It's the word in the Greek that means just without decay. It's not liable to corruption or deterioration. In Psalm 119, uh, verse 160, it says, the entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. It's forever. That's imperishable. It's not going to spoil. It's not going to fade. No doubt the word has certainly been attacked in the past in human history. It's taken a, a beating from what it looks like, but it's still here and it's still vibrant. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human history and human effort uh, to corrupt the scriptures. And we are still here able to preach and teach it with authority. That's his provision. That's imperishability. It will not perish. It will not leave. And no matter what we do now uh, or in the future, it will not leave. All right? Anything that lasts forever is imperishable. Right? Anything of God is imperishable. Um, it, it won't spoil. I love this in particular when it comes to just this uh, um, uh, example of what he has reserved for his believers in glory. Right? The Bible says that we will have an imperishable inheritance in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. If you look back in, in our own uh, passage here, verse 4, an inheritance that is imperishable. A part of this inheritance is an imperishable crown, according to 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, imperishable bodies, according to 1 Corinthians 15, which is great. right? Because I'm tired of my body in a lot of ways sometimes, you know what I mean? And so it will be nice to have new imperishable bodies. That don't spoil or fade or shrink or expand like many people's has, including mine over the last six months. Right? It's imperishable. And then to break down this idea of imperishable, the Bible used two other words here uh, to articulate it even more. Part of the imperishability of God's word is that it is living, which makes sense. Nothing dead is imperishable. The Word of God is living and active. It not only will, will not decay, but it also will never die. 
Now I agree, there are times where it seems that the word is preached with verbosity and and, and truth, and a lot of times it falls on deadened ears and hardened hearts, and the result may appear like a lifeless impact on people. But make no mistake, that's not because the word's dead. The word's alive. That's because hearts are dead. That's because spiritual blindness is a thing. Right? In the same way you can't take a blind person to the Grand Canyon and expect them to react the same to somebody who can see, right? Just because the blind person can't see it doesn't mean that the Grand Canyon isn't there and isn't beautiful and isn't magnificent, right? It's the same thing with God's Word. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, a passage we've looked to at multiple times in the past weeks for the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirits, joints, and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. The best way to understand the living nature of the Word of God is to let it do this in your own life. To let it hit the depth of that place in your life that nothing else has ever gone before, including yourself, and to submit your soul and spirit, your joints and marrow to the work of God through obedience in Jesus Christ and his word and see what he does and see if he doesn't create life where there was death or passion where there was dullness or whatever the case may be. Freedom where there was bondage. This is the living work of God's word. So God's word won't decay and it won't die. It also won't Depart, it is enduring. And in the Greek, that word there means to stay and to abide. That's what he says through the living and enduring word of God. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. No king can get rid of it. No pandemic can get rid of it. Nothing is, is going to change about it. It endures and it lasts forever. The only thing that ever changes is whether or not people respond rightly to it. I remember visiting Berlin and seeing these elaborate, massive, gorgeous, but empty churches left over from a time where worship was more of a thing. Um, the missionaries there in Berlin were just telling us of the, just the sad condition of the, of the, uh, of the, the citywide church um, and of the national church there. And yet even so... Um, you see this and, and you understand that maybe the church is somewhat, uh, um, you know, dull there. But I was able to also on that same trip worship multiple times with people who loved the Lord, who had worship services. I was able to worship and serve with a vibrant body of believers at the church in the heart of Berlin. To which I praise God and I see that the word is enduring there. It doesn't look like it in physical, elaborate ways or levels, but what does endure is just as strong and just as beautiful. There are other parts of the world where uh, certainly it does look like the word is not having its effect, and that's very true. There's other parts of the world uh, in just, just remarkable testament to just the power of the gospel that at one point looked like the, uh, the word did depart or at least was shunned Um, little did the place know, the country or the village or whatever, little did it know that the word was ready, getting ready to just explode and expand uh, at exponential levels. In some of these persecuted places, uh, the church is growing most vibrantly, and it's growing not because of any corporate gathering. 
Uh, and it's growing not because of political favor and cultural acceptance. And it's growing not because of convenience and childcare and free coffee and padded chairs and, and cool lights and um, uh, you know, top-of-the-line instruments and, and production. It, it, it's not growing because of that stuff. It's happening in the secrecy of homes. It's happening in small groupings of faithful believers who are gathering understanding the great physical risk. It's happening because that great physical risk has forced the nominal Christians to either go all in or to get out of the way, both of which allow for the gospel to move more freely. It's a harsh statement, I suppose, but it's reality. And it turns out in those places, convenience and cultural acceptance, we're, we're holding the gospel back rather than letting it loose. And so I wonder, how, how is this maybe likely even in our own experience, in our own country, in our own community? Does convenience uh, hold the gospel back at times? Well, the pandemic is going to help us understand that. It's going to help us pick apart who we are as a church. It's going to help this community, this city, this country pick apart who the church is in America, and what we truly rely on. It's been interesting to see people's reactions to uh, another season of virtual worship services, and most people have been pretty understanding, but there's been plenty, and I've read the articles and you know, seen the comments and all that kind of stuff of just how there's, there's a contingent of people just who insist that if you shut down service or if you have to go virtual for a time being, that you know, the church is just submitting to uh, an unhealthy and ungodly fear of man and government. And listen, we agree with you. God is above it all. Pandemic. He's above the pandemic. He's above the government. He's above anything, right? Of course he is. We get it. We agree on that. And I want to go and just say here, on behalf of myself and the pastors and elders of FBN, um, that it was not fear that drove this church uh, to make this course of action. In fact, it was a, a rather strong confidence in the Lord to sustain and provide and to endure because we truly believe that this is the nature of him and his word so this is what we've made our stance on and not only that we're going to continue to encourage the worship and the teaching of god's word we're going to encourage it in small smaller group gatherings that are safe and respectful we're going to continue to encourage it in viewing parties and may even open up some pathways for that here at FBN uh, in the coming future, depending on how this thing proceeds. We're going to still encourage you to fellowship and uh, connect with other families at a safe and respectful level. We're going to still continue to teach the Word of God and make it widely accessible. And we're going to still continue to provide a worship component so that you can feel a little bit of uh, like you're worshiping at home with just, uh, you know, the Pittengers and the worship experience that we've become uh, accustomed to. And we as a staff and as a church leadership are going to continue to learn and grow in how uh, to shepherd the church uh, as best as possible during these unique times. Everything that God has called us to do according to his scriptures in worship and Christian community and in study of the word, it all still stands and it's all still present. It's just not as convenient. That's it. And I think we all agree that there's nothing better than the mass gathering of believers. Every time I've gone to a camp, every time I come in here on a Sunday morning, every time I, 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 I 
get to experience just the math. There is just power in numbers and the voices worshiping. I get it. I miss it and I look forward to it. And it'll be coming back soon enough. Someday, even if it's a year from now, it'll be back soon enough and we'll be okay because the Lord endures and so does His Word. But listen, for the person who insists that there's such an unhealthy fear when people make this kind of confident decision, this kind of motion to go virtual for a very brief season, right? can I go ahead and push back just a little bit on that? Kindly and respectfully just say, that is it possible that you're reacting such a way because maybe you're the one concerned or you're the one afraid? I mean, is that a possibility? And if so, what is it? Usually people react harshly because they're the concerned one. So is it personal? Right? Are you afraid for you or your family? Thinking that if we don't have Sunday morning gatherings on Sunday mornings in person, that, that you guys will fall away or that people that you love will fall away? It's a decent concern, but it's not, it's not something that is unavoidable. Or are you intimidated by the inconvenience of just Christian community outside of Sunday mornings? I get it. We love to come here. We love to see people, all of that kind of stuff. But it, it's a little harder, right, to open your homes um, or to go to other people's homes or to step out of the Sunday morning experience to make that connection happen. So is that, is that what the concern is? Maybe you're concerned nationally. You're just afraid of what this is going to produce in the American church if churches go virtual and um, uh, if the pandemic seems to settle in once again. And let me go and just say, if, if you are concerned um, for the condition of the American church and the impact this is going to have, I'm glad we are too. Uh, but if this is when it's beginning, you're, if this is when your concern is beginning, then you're far past due. The American church's condition has had many problems for a long time. And I would go ahead and say that going virtual and the pandemic has not caused the problems. It's just exposed more deeply the existing problems of the American church. It's caused us to question what we rely on, what we trust in, um, how bound our worship truly is to matters of convenience and physicalities. Or maybe you're afraid for FBN. Uh, you're afraid for your pastoral staff and resources and, and your population, just the population of FBN. And I get it. And, and trust me, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Right? Um, we still, like my family and my whole livelihood, depends on the good uh, condition of FBN. Right? We work here. This is where we get our livelihood from. Same for all the pastoral staff. So, yeah, that thought's crossed our mind for sure. But the Lord has given us no reason to not trust him in that regard. And so we're good. And I don't say this with a chip on my shoulder and I don't say it bragging. I'm just saying we're good because the Lord endures forever and his word endures forever. And I'm confident that our staff and our leadership are putting their faith and reliance in that, that his word endures forever. And I'm also confident that no matter what happens, FBN will be a place where we preach and teach and live according to the enduring, living, and imperishable word of God. And so as long as this rings true here and in our preaching and in our leadership and in our members and our attendees in you, then we can endure however long this thing needs to go because God's not threatened by it. His gospel still moves and his word will still sustain. And so we're good. His word won't decay. It's not going to die. It's not going to depart. And if we hold fast to it, neither will we. And if you hold fast to it, neither will you. 
it's okay. So instead of going into the holidays frustrated and bummed and inconvenienced and accusational, (laughs) can we just consider some other alternatives? Right? For example, can we consider the alternative of, of just the opportunity that we have here, right? In the confidence of His Word, the opportunity that we have to worship God, to examine who we are, to contribute to the solution in the community, to help not overrun the hospitals, and to stop the spread uh, of COVID in our own population, and to, you know, hopefully at some point not be getting daily, uh, daily uh, um, reminders of people who have uh, newly contracted COVID-19, um, of our own people, of our own membership, and of our own uh, uh, attendees. Right? To be a part of the solution. What an opportunity we have uh, to be a part of that. Not only that, but to just really once again truly examine at a precise and focused level who we are as a church, why we do what we do. Uh, um, when things are taken away, how do we react? When the privileges and the luxuries of convenient worship are, are put back in place, how, how do we re- react? Right? How do we step into that? How do we sign up for things? We get to know our church a lot better in these opportunities, these times. You might not feel it right now, but we're here on a daily basis praying about these things, considering these things. And the Lord is working in FBN because of this, and it's given us the capacity to do so. So what an opportunity we have. What an opportunity we have. It's interesting. Uh, There's two dominant words in the New Testament for time, and the first is eon. Um, well, what we would say eon, but it's more like aeon, but it's eternity, forever, from age to age, right? It's just this big level understanding of time. And at the same time, there's another word that's popularly used in the Greek in the New Testament, and it's this word kairos, which means appointed time, determined time. It just, it seems like God is less bound by accidents and coincidence, and he is more about divine appointment, but with eternity in mind. See, we live moment to moment, stage to stage, day to day, hour to hour. We live from event to event. But he appoints according to all of eternity that he inhabits and that he knows. And so what he appoints today in his mind and heart plays into the drama of all eternity. Right? Whatever the cause of the pandemic, he allowed it. He sees it. He's above it. He has purpose in it. And that purpose is good for his people. And so even though it's tough, it's an opportunity for us to pursue him more and to figure out what he has for us in it. Second is this, it's to find purity and obedience. That comes straight from 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, since you have been purified since you have purified yourselves by your obedience to the truth. What an opportunity you have uh, to invest in your time in the Word, to be purified from the inside out in your obedience to the Word of God. What an opportunity you have to be tested in this. Right? Outside of the routine of worship and the convenience of worship, you have the opportunity uh, in the depths of your days and routines and your life uh, outside of these walls to be prayerfully asking, God, create a clean heart for me and a re- renew a steadfast spirit in me and to 
keep that prayer in your heart when you pursue the word, to not get dull in it, to not get routine in the word uh, um, as if it's a checklist, but to experience it and to relate and to find intimacy in it. Right? I heard a pastor talking about hardened hearts one time, and he was talking about uh, just the tendency uh, for people to harden their hearts to, uh, to the word of God. And the comment he made was uh, that hardened hearts are formed in the hearing and declining of God's word. Right? Hardened hearts are, are formed in the hearing and declining of God's word, which I was like, yeah, that's good. And he used the, uh, the example of Pharaoh, right? Who heard the word of God, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. Heard the word of God, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. And so over time, uh, even more and more, the Pharaoh heard the word of God and declined. And so Pharaoh is forever known as the man with the hardened heart. And we agree. Yes, absolutely. This all makes sense. And then he went on to say this, and it was very sobering. He said, so if hardened hearts occur in the hearing and declining of the word of God, then where would you find probably the hardest of hearts? Well, you would find it where the word is heard. Because you can't decline the word if you've not heard the word. And listen, he said, and I agree, that some of the hardest hearts that you'll ever find are in the church. Where people listen to God's word weekly. And maybe even more so and do nothing with it. They decline. They don't stay repentant. They, don't, they aren't open to conviction. They aren't open to life change. They aren't open to, to anything. They're not going to forgive that person. They're not going to change the way that they live, but they are out of duty going to go to church. And it creates a hardness in heart. Listen, what an opportunity that we have uh, in the pandemic for let that rattle some people. Uh, and to truly evaluate the condition of their own heart. It's, a, it's an opportunity. And an opportunity for you uh, to grow in your relationship with the Lord. To grow in your own purity and your own pursuit of God. Third was this. To love one another. That's where he goes next. So that you show sincere brotherly love for each other from a pure heart. Love one another constantly. This is wonderful, wonderful advice, especially for now. If you want to make the most of the time that we are uh, in, going into the holidays, going into winter, if you want to make the most of it instead of um, kind of just being frustrated by it all, what an opportunity we have to love people at a radical and creative level. Uh, with authenticity and, and deep impact and creativity and accessibility to love one another, to love each other uh, outside of these walls, to love other people who need the love of Christ, to care for those who are sick and injured and uh, those who are, are truly hurting. And it's winter and homelessness is still a thing and so is poverty and so is uh, uh, hunger. It's all still here. What an opportunity we have to get our heads outside of our own little bubbles for a little bit and go love people the way Christ would want us to love people. And fourthly is this, it's to proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel, and that's how it is. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord endures forever, and this word is the gospel that was proclaimed to you. Listen. It was proclaimed to you, it was proclaimed to me, it was proclaimed to them, and it was never meant to stop at them or you or me. The proclamation is to continue. This is what the Bible calls us to. And listen, we are living in a day and age, I'm not saying it's better for proclaiming the gospel, but it's definitely not worse. It's pretty easy, actually, if you can get out of your own head and pray for some boldness. You got 
pretty much any tool and device needed to share the gospel with somebody to open up that conversation, right? COVID is still a thing. Uh, it's still surging. Political unrest is still uh, continuing. Racial tension is still there. The holidays are approaching, and in general, people seem to be more uh, receptive of things of the Lord during the holidays. It's all right there. It's so easy to just walk into those conversations and then to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to people. What an opportunity we have during the season for this. What an opportunity you have in the holidays to, again, step out of your yearly routine of holidays and seasons and all of that kind of stuff and to take a special focus on the lost in your midst. Right? It's there. I've heard of people that I know uh, and love, unbelievers, who they've told me they, because our sermons and because our Bible studies are online, they're in. They're tuning in. Uh, they're watching Right? It's probably going to be even more easy for you to invite somebody to a church service this year. Uh, again, I guess I'm partly assuming uh, that we still have you know, uh, the technological live streams and all that kind of stuff. But because we've been stepping into this world and we'll have it probably through the holidays, you can utilize that to share Christ with people. Say, hey, watch this video and then say, hey, call me afterwards. Let's talk about it. It's there for us. Listen. I really do pray that this winter and this season is marked by a unique effort from you and your family to share and proclaim the good news of Jesus in full confidence of his word, of his gospel, that it has and will continue to change the hearts of people and God wants to use us for that work. Will you? Will you see this as an opportunity to be used for this work? I pray that you do. Listen, I love you guys. We're going to sing in another song of worship. Would you worship the Lord today because he endures, because he is imperishable, because he is the Almighty, he is sovereign, he is over it all, and he has extended that peace of himself to us through his word. Would you worship him for that today, and would you let him speak to your hearts and speak to your living so that you can adjust it accordingly, be purified in your hearts, obey his truth, and share his love with people who need it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time. We pray uh, for you to use this time to speak to our hearts in a way that only you can, that you would continue to give us wisdom going into uh, the future of these uh, interesting times, that we would see it as an opportunity uh, for different ways of ministry and impact and gospel declaration uh, to people uh, in a world uh, that so desperately needs it. God, give us wisdom and give us your grace. And thank you for what you have given us in your enduring word of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.